0: I'm not sure uh, what it is about um, preparing for sermons. I don't know because we, pr- we, we have kind of the calendar set like a year out, right? So we kind of know what's going on and we slot everything in. So I don't know when you're preparing for a sermon, if it's like when you get a car and you start noticing everybody else has the same car as yours or if God just gives you extra things like that are involved with the sermon because this week is about feelings and emotions. And we've had a very emotional week at the Aldrich House. Uh, there is a new puppy in our home and uh oh oh, yeah that's maybe how some of you feel about it um there is a whole uh, array of feelings i've had about having a new puppy um we had a dog at one point and it was a very like mediocre dog it was it was a fine dog um he was part of the family i mean if you've ever had like an okay dog you know what i'm talking about like he's been gone for a while and we haven't really missed him a whole lot like we did for like a couple of days and then it's been also kind of nice like we like to go do fun stuff. You just sort of leave whenever you want. You kind of do and So over the last year, my family has been working really hard on me to get another dog. Uh, Rachel and our middle one, Andy, whose birthday was this weekend, all they want is a dog. Like Pretty much every day, there's like, hey, can we get a dog today? Um, and so there's been a lot of talk. So we finally kind of agreed a few months ago, what if we get a dog? Not like a puppy, but a dog, right? Maybe he's kind of gone through some of the puppy phase because... We can barely train our own kids. How are we going to train this puppy? And like, and so we thought, maybe if there's a dog who's like someone's, you know, they moved or they got you know, they couldn't take care of them. So we got turned down by, for one of those. It's a longer story that we can share another time. We're good people. I don't know why we got turned down. But we do know why we got turned down by the Rescue Society. I'm contending that they're crazy and we're not. But um, So then we kind of got to the point where we're like, well, we're not going to get a grown-up dog. And we've given it a long time, and so it's puppy time. And so uh, Rachel's gone to look at puppies several times, and her mom goes with her, and, and she's usually kind of the voice of reason. So last week we were at a friend's house and uh, I, I was trying to leave. We were going to go do something, Rachel and Maverick and I, and th- I couldn't find Rachel for a while. Maverick and I are in the car and we're like, what is she doing? And when she comes up to the car, she's like, I found out about a puppy. I'm like, oh boy. Um, and it's just, you find a sign on the side of the road near Osteen and it's there. I'm like, oh boy. Um, and so I'm like, let's call your mom and see if she wants to go with you. Cause this has worked out well the last couple of times, right? She's gone. They haven't come back with a puppy. So they go and um, I don't see her for a while. I'm trying to figure out where she is. Text, how's it going? She's like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's it's going okay. I'm like, oh, that means there's no puppy. There's a puppy. Um, and so I was trying to figure out how to process. So I found this wheel of emotions that I felt like were really helpful <laughs> to help me kind of process through my week as we were talking about emotions. First, there was trust. So we'll start at that side of it. Trust, Rachel, I trust you to make a good decision. You know what you want. You know kind of what we can handle. Um, then we got to move quickly into fear when that phone call came in. Oh, you got a puppy and he's coming to our house today. Oh, what are we going to do Oh, he needs a giant puppy. You said great is in the name of the breed. Okay, cool. (laughs) Surprise, right? You're actually bringing it home right now. Like it's really happening right now. That wasn't just like a little field trip that's happening. Um, then there was, you know, some, some sadness and disgust when you find out what he's done on the carpet several times because he's a puppy. Um, and also maybe some sadness when you get the first vet bills and realize what did we buy at PetSmart that cost that much? Um, then there's kind of the anger that goes through the disgust. He did what, where, on what, and he chewed what of mine, right? Um, but then there's the anticipation, right? So you kind of move quickly through that. That was just a very brief, like, 72 hours or so. Um, anticipation, uh, you know, the family's looking forward to something positive. My family is feeling anticipation with this puppy. I'm anticipating when he grows up into a dog. Um, and then there's joy, because he is a really sweet pup. You guys ready to see him? I feel like Jim Keller right now. You want to see my grandkids? You want to see my puppy? Here he is. This is Gus. I know, right? There's another picture. Where's, where's it? Uh, look. I mean, how can you not love him until he chews on your shoe? So, it's an emotional week, and we're talking about emotions today. And we are emotional beings, and we live our lives and emotions, right? Our lives are filled with emotions and our days are filled with all of these. I mean, that wheel was actually really helpful kind of going back on sort of the basis of feelings and the different philosophies that are there uh, because our, our, our days are filled with trust, fear, surprise, love, and joy, and we move through emotional roller coasters. Some days are both ends of a spectrum. Some days we sit in one, but our lives are filled with it. And It was helpful to be reminded of what emotions are, that emotions are both responsive and preparatory. They're part of our response to our experience and also motivate us towards particular ends. Specific emotions have, by God's design, specific purposes and functions. Therefore, we naturally and correctly speak of an emotion as being warranted or unwarranted, rational or irrational, realistic or unrealistic, sensible or ridiculous. Emotional experiences are not neutral. They are either facilitating the individuals and, more importantly, God's purposes and functions, or they are not. Of course, these happen in varying degrees. And our emotions operate in so many different ways. Our emotions function within ourselves, right? We have feelings that are in ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, how we see ourselves, how that works. They operate horizontally to the people around us and the people in our lives. But there's also a vertical component as well in our spiritual life up to God. So our emotions function in all of these different arenas in our whole life and everything in it. But I think what happens, and if we look at our lives, we often place our emotions above everything else. That is our standard. That is what we trust. We go by our feelings, right? If if what we're feeling is true, and oftentimes we follow that, and we can put that above everything else in our lives. We can put that above rational thought. We can put that above the truth we see in the circumstances. We can put that above the history that's around us, and we can chase those so far. And we usually go after our emotions as destinations, rather than using them as barometers or outflows of an inner working. So often we chase happiness, right? That's one of the things we talk about. I just wanna be happy. That is the thing I think that our culture most tries to sell to us, right? If you get this, you'll be happy. If you do this, you'll be happy. And chasing after happiness becomes the chief end of our life, if we're just happy, then everything will be okay and it becomes the destination rather than kind of a signal of whether things are going well or not, or whether leading us or a response for something else. Or if you're not chasing happiness, maybe you're just avoiding sadness. Right? A lot of our life, we're just spent avoiding certain emotions. If we just don't feel sad, if we just don't feel anger, disgust, if we just stay away from those things we don't want, can maybe be as good as chasing after the thing. And we spend a lot of our time maybe just holding back certain things so we can stay away from the negative things that we want to be away from us. Anger is one of those. Jim Keller uh, a while back said and it's something that has stuck with me for a while. He said that anger is a helpful transitional emotion. It's a helpful thing to notice what's going on, but it's not a destination or it shouldn't be a destination. So there's all these emotions. They're helpful as a transitional emotion, either preparing us for something or a response to something. But as a destination in and of themselves, they're not the highest thing. Jeff Kern mentioned last week uh, when he was talking about how angry it feels as a culture, right, in in the world. We kind of like, if you're looking at social media, if you're watching the news, if you're just talking to your friends, you notice there's sort of this simmering anger. And it felt like it's more of a subjective thing. Maybe we're just feeling it. I don't know if it's there or not. And I was reading through my news app this week, and this article popped up in the Washington Post. The world is getting angrier. It's not just you. And there's actual substantial evidence pointing to the fact that we are heading more and more that direction. We live in an angry time, and that is one of the emotions that we often live out of. It was often said when we read studies that America, we're in the most prosperous time in the history of the world, right? We're in an incredible economic season. We're in all this stuff, but we're also the most stressed country in the world, the most levels of depression, or at least up there with the other countries, right? And you think about, man, we live so deeply in our emotions and they affect so much of what's going on. And we spend billions on emotional health, whether that's on treatment, on counseling, on medication. And these are mostly good things. Often they're very helpful, but so often they are just a band-aid on top of something. They're not actually transforming our lives. They're not a transformational element. They're often just a stopgap on the way and we don't actually get to the part where we get to deal with what's really going on. So how are you doing? How are you doing in your emotional life? Are are you feeling transformed? I mean, we just talked about Easter. We talked about the hope of new life. Are you feeling transformed in your life? Are you feeling this new thing? Or are you just another emotion away from falling apart? Are you living right on the edge of your emotional life? And and, and if you just have one more thing happen, it's going to all be over. Our our spiritual lives, our lives with God are, are more than just our emotions. And kind of in the immortal words of the band Boston, it's more than a feeling. But it's not less than our emotions. Our emotions are actually an integral part of our relationship with God. Let me say that again. Our spiritual life are more than emotions, but they're not less than that. Our emotions are actually a very important part of how God has wired us and how he has wanted us to function and put into the proper context. They help us experience God in a new way. And it's actually a way that he gifts us in our lives. You see, God is an emotional God. This has been something so fascinating to study over the last couple of weeks because sometimes it's easy to think, well, God is just a thinking God, right? He's just a rational God and there's laws and he's immutable and all these things. But when you go back, you realize God is an emotional God. He's always existed from the beginning of time in relationship. There was God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Trinity, and he has always existed in relationship. And if you've ever been in relationship, which every one of you have, in some way, shape, or form, you know relationships are filled with emotions. You can't be in relationship with another person without there being an emotional component to that. And to get a good understanding of the proper place for our emotions and how they were created, we go back to the beginning, go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, we were created in His image. God created man and woman in His perfect image and in His likeliness to be just like Him. And He created us in perfection. He created us in perfect relationship with Him. And He created all of it to be working in perfect order and in perfect harmony and when he created everything else, it was good, right? He created the sun and it was good. He created the plants and it was good. And then he creates us and he says, it's very good. And I can't help but read that as an emotional moment, even in that when God sees his creation of humans, it's very good. Even in the way they use the wording, it's beyond a subjective way that you can, or objective way that you can measure that. There's something about when he saw us that it was very good. He saw something incredible about what he did in us. And it said in Genesis 1.25 that Adam and Eve, while they're there, it says they were naked and they felt no shame. So again, they were, had proper emotions. They felt no shame. They were created as emotional beings. There was emotions from the very beginning and they felt in harmony with God. There was no shame. They lived with them. And so the original Adam and Eve, the first humans created perfectly in God's image, felt. And they were in perfect alignment with God. But as we know in the story of the Bible, when you look at it, you get through page one and all of a sudden things fall apart. I mean, you get one page into the story and everything's broken because they eat the fruit. God has created the perfect system, perfect harmony, perfect emotions, everything else. He says, just don't do this one thing. Stay away from the tree. Stay away from it and everything will be good. But of course, they eat it. And immediately after eating the fruit, Genesis 3, 7, it says that they noticed they were naked and they felt shame and they clothed themselves in three, two, they felt fear. Adam says, I heard you and I felt afraid. So they had feelings. They had negative feelings. Things were broken. This perfect relationship that was there was separated. And all of a sudden, the negative emotions come in. their are feelings from the very beginning. So before that, you have to imagine the opposite was there. Harmony and peace and joy. And all of a sudden, it's broken. And even in 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you. I will put brokenness and dissension and the feelings of brokenness. and disattachment there. The theologian Derek Kidner offers the following comment on this. He says, The climax is a lie big enough to reinterpret life and dynamic enough to redirect the flow of affection and ambition. To be as God and to achieve it by outwitting him is an intoxicating program. Adam and Eve became ashamed, worried, anxious, and fearful soon after disobeying God. And then soon thereafter in Genesis 4, the first murder is committed in a context of ungodly emotion. Cain's sinful envy and unrighteous anger So they go from a perfect union with God where the emotions are perfectly lined up to this broken relationship and the effects that are felt there in their emotions that create more brokenness and the system continues this cycle of brokenness to brokenness and our whole selves are affected by that brokenness. Our thoughts, last week we talked about how our thoughts were broken by the fall. We think of ourselves. We think only of what is good for us. We stay in our heads instead of having our thoughts reflect on God. Next week we'll talk about our actions. Our actions are broken in the fall too. How we treat one another. How we use our bodies and ourselves and our actions in that and today we talk about our emotions they immediately felt shame and all the brokenness that are there our emotions are no longer in perfect harmony because of the fall they're broken and they become a focus either way right we either put such an emphasis on our emotions that it is the only truth that is out there we can go so far into our emotions that the only way that we can have a barometer of life is what we're feeling and feelings are real, but they're not always true, right? And we can put such a heavy emphasis on it, And that can lead on the far end of things to hedonism, right? If it feels good, do it. If I could just get the feelings, I'm going to go all for the feels. It's all of it. I just need to feel alive. Whatever makes me to do that, I just need to live my best life and pursue my truth. Whatever is true in me is what will stir this up and whatever will drive me. Or you can go focus on the far end of the spectrum here and just cut your emotions off. You move towards stoicism where you only live in your head and you just cut off your heart and the rest of it. That I can just have this knowledge of the world or knowledge of God and and cut off the feelings and downplaying this huge piece of how God's created us. Our emotions are no longer naturally oriented in such a way that they contribute to honoring, loving, and obeying God. Instead, our emotions have become self-serving, our affections idolatrous, and our passion is for our own glory rather than His. We tend to seek happiness in what cannot last, delight in evil, fear that which God forbids, become angry when we should be patient, grieve hopelessly, and hate that which is good. Pervasive, holistic depravity means that not only do we choose and think the wrong things, but also that our emotions, but for grace, are wrongly oriented. And it should be no surprise that the world is not working well based on what is happening with us. As we rely on these emotions that are broken and the outpouring of that as it affects our whole lives, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, when we look around, it should be no surprise that things aren't working. We live in a fallen world. But then Christ comes. Jesus comes, the perfect man, God in the flesh. So he is fully God and fully human. and He lives a perfect life on earth. And it's amazing to track our emotions alongside the story of the gospel because they line up so well. Perfect in the beginning, broken in the fall. And then Jesus, the God-man, comes and lives a perfect life. It actually puts on display what perfect emotion looks like in the human context. In his life, We see every range of emotion that there is for humanity. We see Jesus' love. Of course, when you think of Jesus, you think of love. But not just loving in his actions. He actually felt love. It says, when a rich young man had a question in Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So he has the feelings, the emotions of love towards others. He feels compassion. Luke 7, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. He felt anger. We see the perfect display of anger. What is righteous and justified anger when he flips the tables in the temple, when this injustice occurs, it is anger rightly placed. And we see how anger lives out and how it should be a transitional emotion, how it should be lived out when he sees injustice. We see Jesus feeling sadness. Though he knows the big story, he feels sadness, a very human emotion when his buddy Lazarus dies and Jesus wept. He felt the sadness around him. He feels grief. This is one of those ones I think we forget about, but when in, in the prophecies in Isaiah, he said he would be a man accompanied, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You think about the, 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 the coming king, the Messiah they were looking for, and one of the ways he's described is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew the brokenness. He felt it. But also Jesus felt joy. John 15 he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to have joy, and he felt joy. He felt the whole range of emotions and he felt them perfectly and we get an image of what that looks like. Perfectly life, perfectly attuned emotions that cover the entire spectrum. But they confirm that God does indeed have emotions. If Jesus is fully God and He is full the full expression of what God would be like and he has these emotions, God also has these emotions. And they can be used for him and by him. And they can be good and redeemable and hopeful and helpful in our lives. So Jesus dies for our sin. He takes our sin. He takes it to the grave and comes back to life on Easter. Again, we started here a couple of weeks ago in the Easter story. And he offers new life and he offers transformed life. His life is actually physically transformed when he comes back from the grave. But he also offers to transform our lives. He offers to live in us and have a life in us. Romans 8.10 If Christ is in you though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Ephesians 3.17-19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and then know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness with God. This incredible picture of what is it like to have the fullness of Jesus alive in our life and the hope that he has for us and also in our emotional life. And he offers to transform this part of our life from the wrong destination to a new way of living and loving and feeling. Second Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory so to all of us who will focus on him are being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He gives us this hope that if we follow Him, that He will give us new life. And if our attentions are rightly focused on Him, there will be a transformation of our whole life, every piece of it, including our emotional life. We're all emotional beings. This is one of those things. Jim Keller, uh, many of you know, is one of our teachers. He's also a counselor, and he's preaching the same one, and, and we work together on it. And um, he had such an interesting uh, take on all of this because he said, listen, every single one of us have emotional lives. We are full of emotions. Some of us don't, just don't express it very well, right? Um, ask any of my family members or Rachel. Um, some of us have emotions i have all kinds of emotions everywhere they don't always come out in all the best ways or the right ways but we are filled with them our lives are comp- are compounded with them we all process through them in different ways and realizing that this emotional part is in an important aspect of our nature as human persons created by and like and for a holy and personal god delivers us from several of the prevailing misconceptions about emotions and, and we see in scripture that we are instructed to hate sin To rejoice, always listen to these emotional words that are here. Delight and be glad in the Lord. Weep with those who weep. Grieve like those who have hope and fear God. Particular emotions such as fear and joy and delight are essential components in fulfilling the primary purpose of our existence, serving and glorifying God. Serving God rightly requires right emotions. And the capacity for emotions is designed by God as part of His divinely ordered plan, They are necessary for us to properly know and to relate to God. They are designed to facilitate the fulfillment of the great commandments, loving God with all we are and all we do, and loving our neighbor as readily as we love ourselves. The properly functioning Christian soul requires passions and affections that are properly trained and that care about the things that God cares about. In fact, Christian virtues and values require a mature emotional life. It's interesting, I think, that we're in a time that we can go one way or the other, right? Again, we can go so far into emotions, and including in our church life, we can either just chase after emotions, or we can go so far the other way of only knowing God in our head, and that will be enough. But even as far back as the 1700s, this was not something, this is more of a recent phenomenon of, of cutting these things off. Um, Jonathan Edwards at the time said mainly the same thing, that for although to be heard there to be true religion, there must indeed be something else besides affection, Yet true religion consists so much in the affections that there cannot be true religion without them. I mean, early on in the history of the church, there was a recognition that it was our heart, mind, soul, actions. It took all of our lives to live this out. Now, this does not mean that new life in Christ necessarily makes us more emotional. Although the process of this redemption certainly renews emotions. It can redirect our affections. In increasing measures, we're enabled to wholeheartedly love God and our neighbor and hate evil and sin and this is to say that new life in Christ does not make us any less emotional, but the renewed heart enthused with the Spirit of God can and should experience diminishing measures of sinful emotion and idolatrous affection. Our emotions should start lining up more and more with Him and become more alive in Him. In Galatians 5, Galatians, we talked about earlier this year for the first part of the year, and Galatians 5 talks about what a picture of freedom for followers of Him look like those who would place their faith in him and in fact covers our emotional life. Galatians 5, through 23 is the scripture that's printed on your bulletin. Um, it's the gifts of the spirit, the gifts, the things, the outpouring of a living spirit that is living inside of us. If Jesus is alive in us, these are the things that will happen. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, these are gifts that are given by the living spirit of God inside of it. And the first three of those have deeply emotional components. That if God is working in us, he produces healthy and good emotions and they are given as gifts of his living spirit in us. The first is love. Love, joy, peace. We're going to just touch on those to conclude our time today. Love. Love. In Matthew 22, uh, one of the Pharisees, one of the people, come to Jesus. Says, "Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law?" Jesus says to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. Second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself." So, first, we're called to love God. We're called to love Him with our whole heart and soul. Now, this is a choice. This is a decision that we make. This is a movement of him. It is a mysterious thing in many ways. But there is an action component to this. It's getting ourselves in the right place. It's making this decision to follow him. But there's also the opportunity that so many of us get to experience the emotion of following him. When I think back to some of the sweet moments with God, there are those moments that they don't last forever, but they are our tastes of what will be to come, those moments on the mountaintop, those moments of spiritual awakening, whether that's the first moment you followed Christ. For so many, there's an emotional time when we first make that decision, or maybe it's baptism today. We're going to have celebrate baptisms. and For many, there's so much emotion around them. They feel this closeness to God. For me, it was so many years at Windy Gap, this camp up into North Carolina, and there was a little stream. And for about 10 years, every year, I'd end up at this little place and just kind of measure life. It was one of those places to reflect on life. And so many times, God would meet me in those moments and remind me of the emotions that are there with him. And again, they don't last all the time. And it's okay. There are days we follow God without them. But there is an emotional component to following him. As well, He allows us to experience the feeling of being loved and loving Him. Then He calls us to love our neighbors. He calls us to love others. And again, love as an action is there. We have to decide to love. We have to serve. We have to do these things. We'll talk more about the action side of it next week. But... If you think about it, if if we're truly called to love our neighbors, it can't just be something we do as the attachment. To love your neighbors as yourself means to actually have to be in proximity. It means that there has to be some sort of emotional connection with them as well. We have to be close enough to love them. And that love can happen, that emotional part can happen in so many different ways. And sometimes it starts with the feeling. If you think about your first time, maybe you're married or you're dating or, or the first time you had a crush on someone, that emotional response where you're drawn to someone. Sometimes it starts with emotions and turns into the actions of serving the longer you're together you realize you have to keep taking those steps but oftentimes our emotions follow our actions when we step into the right places when we love well when we get into proximity to others the emotions there because when we talk about love so much of it if you go back to that original chart that was there they define love as a feeling of attachment to someone the base level of love when you look in those old definitions and and kind of the deeper part of it Feeling attachment is when we serve, when we love our neighbors well. There's an emotional component. And Jesus says that you'll, they'll know you're my disciples, how you love one another. So how does that feel for you? What does that look like? What does that feel like as you love others? Again, as, as Jim was preparing this and as we were talking through this, he said that in his counseling practice, so often people he's meeting with are in relational crisis, right? A lot of times we end up in counseling because things are just not working well in our relationships and we're trying to figure it out. And he said, usually the biggest question he gets to with someone when they're in crisis with one another, when the feelings are gone, when things are rough, is have you forgiven them or can you? He says, when you can pray for them, not just for judgment upon them, but when you can actually pray for the other person, when you can pray for that person's soul and care, that's the beginning healing that's the beginning of love again and there has to be a willingness to get back into the emotional space with the other person Because you can act it all day long but until you're willing to feel it again things won't come back together you have to keep loving and sometimes that means to keep doing to keep taking steps until you feel it but there is an emotional component to it as well and then he says to love our neighbors as ourselves so what does it mean to love ourselves where what does it look like and feel like to love yourself And I think the question asks is do you love yourself well am I loving myself well am I Doing self-care, am I getting a good diet? Am I eating well? Am I resting well? Am I exercising? Am I self-medicating instead of dealing with some of the things that are going on inside? How is my spiritual nourishment? We live in a culture that makes it hard to love ourselves well, right? It tells us to be someone else, to act a different way. But there's a part where we need to understand that God is uniquely wired each and every one of us. We have to come to love that part of holy living is loving ourselves well. So love, the emotional component of that, Galatians 5. And then he says joy. And joy is more than happiness. It's more than just feeling something that's there, but it's not less than feeling. Again, joy can happen in the hard circumstances and the good. I know Brene Brown has got a new Netflix special. Many of you have watched it. I've heard a lot about it this week. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But she speaks about joy being actually a foreboding emotion for most people. Because if we're willing to step into joy, that means that we're opening ourselves up for disappointment. And so many of us reject joy, right? If we can just hold it at bay, again, I think that's where stoicism can come into play in this. If we just hold it back, then we don't have any chance to get hurt. Because as soon as we step into joy, as soon as we admit that things are going well, we expect God, I think a lot of us expect Him to be retributive, right? Well, He's going to snatch it away. Or someone's going to take it away from me. And so if I just live numb, if I live in neutral, nothing can bother me. But God is a God who wants us to have joy. So when's the last time you felt joy? This is the last time you felt really pure joy. Again, Jesus wants us to have it. John 15, that my joy may be complete. I want you to have joy. It's a gift. One of the gifts of the Spirit is to experience, to feel joy. So what are some of the ways that we can go about experiencing joy? I think a big part of it is reflecting on the good gifts of God, of, of understanding that He is present, the things that He has given us, even historically looking back, reflecting on God Himself, His deep love for us, our family, our friends, the gift of breath. I remember doing an exercise early on in my life, and I remember thinking at the time, I was like 22-ish, and, and we're doing this thing. We had to breathe in the Spirit and breathe out compassion. I'm like, why are we breathing? Let's go play Frisbee or something. Um, but I, now I realize the gift of breath, right? Every time you breathe is a gift. It's not promised. Uh, I've had that <laughs> revelation a lot recently. The next one is never promised. Each breath is a gift, focusing on each and every good thing, dwelling on God's rich mercy, that's where joy is. And I think that's even, and maybe especially in the hard stuff, especially in the hard seasons of realizing he has not left you that he is there. And I think that is why we are so drawn to people when they walk through the hard seasons of life, when we see followers of Jesus and they go through the hardest parts of life and we see how they respond. I think that's why we're drawn to them because they can have joy in the midst of cancer. They can have joy in the midst of everything life throws at them. And we're so drawn to it because that is so different than what the world tells us we can have because Christ exhibits that in us and it is a gift. And the last is peace. Peace is the acceptance of God's control. There's peace and prosperity if we understand it as God who is in control, peace and pain, peace and persecution. So are you experiencing peace today? I love that song that we sang earlier today, Peace Be Still My Heart. And even as I sing those words, I sing them into me sometimes. I I need that spoken over me. Those words are so powerful. It is the hope that if we understand that God is in control, we can have peace in the midst of any season in our life. It's more than just the absence of stress. Peace goes deep into our heart and our soul. And it's a state of being as well as an emotion that we get to feel. Jesus says, I will give you peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled in me. You will have peace. Peace is embracing that God is in control and you are okay no matter what happens. And the gift that God gives is that he gives us peace even when we don't expect it. If he is alive in us again, these gifts of the spirit are things that he does in and through us. So, do you want to be emotionally healthy? Do you want a new life? Do you want to come to life? I mean, the series is called Coming to Life. Do you want to feel fully alive? Kingdom living is living with holy emotions and emotions that give life our color and they give it zest and they direct us closer to God. For our lives to be wholehearted, I've loved that image this week of a whole heart that if we are truly coming to life, we need to have a whole heart, that our emotions need to be aligned with Him, that He wants us to have a whole heart to live out of. We need to focus our thoughts properly on Him through the reading of Scripture and prayer for us to know Him, as Jeff spoke about last week, our thought life, and then to rest and to put our faith and trust in Him. This trust and faith will produce our affections and attentions toward Him and now allow our emotions to be fully expressed and aligned with Him and also to ourselves, and to the others that are around us. Our emotions and affections are intended to bring glory to Him, and as we trust and rest in Him alone, we are enabled to orient them for Him and to Him. God's power over all things brings order and sense and meaning and purpose to our lives and our emotions. When we understand our emotions in the light of God's power, particularly when coupled with a wholehearted understanding of his compassionate presence with us and loving authority over us our emotions are situated within ultimate and divine perspectives that temper order and direct them the god of the bible aims to establish his lordship not just over our actions and our thoughts but also over our emotions our affections and our feelings our emotional states are windows into our souls revealing the allegiance of our hearts and see he the source of our joy and happiness Does the fear of the Lord orient and temper all our other fears? Is he Lord over my emotions or do they rule me? Are my feelings for him or against him? Who or what is the chief end of our affections? Let us endeavor to think God's thoughts after him, experience emotions that exalt him as Lord over all, and as we'll talk about next week, conform our actions to his word. Let's pray. God, you uh, desire to live in us. You desire to give us new life, a new life that looks different, a new life that can operate in every season of our life and in every circumstance and that can be a gift and a blessing to those around us. Lord, and you want our thoughts. God, you want to use our whole lives, not just pieces. You want our full thoughts and our mind focused on you and to be able to think beautiful thoughts and to come up with new ideas and to radically change the world and the people around us by the way we think and the way we're willing to give our thoughts to you and the ways we're willing to think hard about things and the question and the doubt and the wrestle and to put together new ideas that were never possible before. And God, you want us to use our actions. You want us to use our hands and our feet and our lives and the ways that you've given us to do unique things. But God, you also want to use our hearts. And there are some here who are so in tune with their emotions and know how to use them so well for you and by you and with others. And God, there are so many of us that struggle with them as well and don't know the proper place for them, God. And I pray that today you would remind us that you desire them, that you have purpose for them, that they are gifts, that they are barometers, that they are ways that you speak to us, and that God, through our wholehearted worship of you, of through our whole life being used by you, we can and will be transformed by you, and not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.